This is Strange Assembly episode 296, Sports-Themed Games. I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. Recently, I took my kids on our apparently annual ski outing. We, the Stevenson family, are not a particularly sporty bunch, so this is, you know, a once a year thing. But it made me think about sports-themed games, right? There's a genre that we don't talk about a lot. So I thought to myself, hey, that would make for an interesting episode to highlight sports-themed games. And so I started double-checking and researching this, and wow, there are not a lot of sports-themed games, like a minuscule, minuscule number of them. You could find more Viking games than all of sports, much less something more generic like Middle Ages Europe. You can't even really do a top five sports games list. I mean, you sort of can. There are maybe 10 sports-themed board games that are, like, you know, worth trying out, which is a, a pretty low bar, right? So we're not going to do anything like a top five, much less a top 10 here. But I want to highlight some games of note and then my two particular favorite ones. So I think the most popular sports-themed board game is Formula D. This is a primarily Formula One racing game, although you can flip the backside over and do street racing. This is your sort of classic go-to racing game. It can play a relative lot of players, maybe not as many as like Pitch Car, but a lot of players all at once. The primary mechanism is that the different gears that you can move your car up through are represented by different dice, and they're custom dice too. You can't just like replace it with a D20 or something like that. If you're in fifth gear, you're not going to move only two. So when you move on your turn, you roll the appropriate die. That's how many spots you have to move. And there are, of course, rules for how quickly you can shift up and how quickly you can shift down. And you do want to shift down. This isn't like Mario Kart, right? Where you can just be like, I am going high speed at all times. Because when you go through turns, you have to actually stop a certain number of times in the designated corner area. This represents the way that in real life you cannot go through a sharp turn in the way that you, you can on a straightaway. And so you have to manage over the course of the game how fast you can get yourself up to but still be able to slow down enough for the turns because it is a ma it can be a massive amount of damage if you just blow through a turn. You can also voluntarily take some wear and tear damage in there, right? Depending on how complicated a, a difficulty level you're playing at uh, is going to affect exactly how many different kinds of damage you have to keep track of. Or it's all just like one general tracker. If you have to slow down because you can't physically go as far as you're supposed to, because say there's another car in front of you, you have wear on your tires maybe. And if you want to shift down faster than is really good for the car, you can take damage to the gearbox, that sort of thing. But that's Formula D. And probably the most highly regarded sport game is Flamme Rouge. 
As always, my apologies for even trying to pronounce anything French. This is a bicycle racing game, which is a surprisingly common theme, relatively speaking, given the popularity of the sport in the universe versus the number of board games that are made about it. Uh, In this game, you control two different racers, sort of a slow and steady racer, and then a sprinter. And the object is to just get one of your people across the finish line, uh, which actually is kind of how real cycling, this long-distance cycling works. Each of your racers has their own deck of cards, and if you run out, then that character, whatever they're going, is just going to put 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 along and never get anywhere. And you can also get exhaustion, which then pollutes your deck with uh, bad cards. So you want to try to always be like drafting behind other players, or at least have one of your characters drafting behind the other. Again, right, also racing. It's a narrow kind of thing here. And the racing theme is not done yet. But so, right, most, most popular sport theme game, probably Formula D, most highly regarded Flamme Rouge. And when I say most highly regarded, I mean by the sort of people who frequent BoardGameGeek.com, right? Another game that I enjoy, but is really on the too expensive side to be the sort of thing that I, I can actually recommend in this kind of thing, is Blood Bowl. This is a games workshop game. It's had a variety of additions over the years, so the particulars of, of the rules have changed. But th- the idea is that you are playing a campaign game of Blood Bowl, which is football, American football, but, uh, you know, with elves and dwarves and orcs and people wounding each other and using magical abilities and whatnot over the course of the game. When you play it as a campaign, you have to, like, assemble a team and the characters can get better over the course of the season or they can get hurt over the course of the season. It's fun, but right, it's a Games Workshop game. You're buying individual miniatures. This one actually comes in and out of print. If it's the sort of thing you you enjoy painting miniatures, right, that's a big upside. If you're like me, you're bad at painting miniatures and it's not a thing you enjoy, so not so great, but worth playing if you get the chance to play it. There's also a Blood Bowl team manager card game that was produced by Fantasy Flight, which when back when they had the Games Workshop license, which is the same theme as Blood Bowl, but you're pulling back to a whole season with abstraction of cards, not playing out individual games where you're like calculating out exactly which squares on the field the players move move through. So that brings us to the two games that I'd actually specifically want to, to highlight as these two are my favorite uh, sports-themed games. And the first one is Baseball Highlights 2045. Uh, this was released in 2015. It's designed by Mike Fitzgerald, published by Eagle Griffin Games. Note that there is an app version, which is pretty nice, so that's a lot easier to, to try out if you wanted to find a copy of it. This is always a, a two-player game, and it, it's a baseball-themed game, but to emphasize, it is definitely not a baseball simulator, right? There's no nine innings, there's no modeling every pitch, or even, like, full games, and there are players who are robots and or, or cyborgs. I mean, I, I'm not going to go into the setup of it too much, but right the year 2045 is right there in the title. So you have natural players, you have robot players, you have cyborg players. A full game represents a season. There's like a, some, several regular season games and then a World Series. There's only two of you, so I guess you're always in the 
the World Series. I guess if you if you want to and you have four people, you can mix and match and then go into playoffs. But if you just normally you're just doing the two players and you just go straight to a World Series. And within a full game that represents a season, there are a number of rounds that kind of represent an individual game. Each of those rounds, those individual games sort of, is resolved with each player playing six cards. You have a 15-card deck, but most of the time, like, you just have six cards that you're playing in that particular round. You're not, like, digging through or drawing a bunch of cards. You're using that deck over the course of all of those rounds for the full season. It's not so much which cards you're going to play, it's what order that you're going to play them in. Each card that you play might represent offense or defense or both. Some things happen immediately and some things are delayed. So the basic thing is that on my turn, I play a card that will on your turn be a hit. So if I play a card that would just make a double, then on your turn, you're going to have a chance to play a defensive play. And then if you don't have a defensive play that stops my double, my double will happen. And then you'll get to play your card, which will then threaten a hit on my turn. That's the, the default sort of thing. So, right, there are going to be really terrible cards over the deck that are, like, just threatening a single single. But then there are going to be other cards over the course of the game that you get to add into your deck that will do things like cancel enemy hits or reduce the power of enemy hits or, like, have multiple home runs or have immediate singles, right? Just, like, this happens right away. Your opponent doesn't even get the chance to do a defensive play. When hits are resolved, pawns are moved around the bases, right? Each player has their own infield that they're moving their pawns around. Again, right, this is not a simulation. And this is, right, This it's like the highlights of the game. So it's not like I am at bat and then you're at bat. Now, b- between these little mini games, though, right, each of these mini games, like I said, it's like a, a game of a season. And then you have a score at the end of the game and that player wins that game. Between these games, you're going to recruit higher-powered free agents to your team. Your roster has to always be 15 cards, so for each new card that you acquire, one of the cards that you used in the prior game has to be sent to the miners. The newly acquired cards go to the top of your deck, so they're immediately available in the next game. And the amount of, of currency you have to acquire new free agents depends on the cards that you played. So, especially in early rounds, you in either play with a limited selection you have of which cards you're going to play or in which free agents you acquire, you kind of have to choose between winning things now versus doing things that are going to increase the amount that you have available to spend later. And, that, and that's partially because the, the this regular season is like three games. And really all you're playing for in the regular season is to be the team that hosts the World Series, which is an advantage, but not not a huge one. So especially like those first three games, it's often more about finessing your roster than it is about caring that much about how you win those games. The element of cyborgs and robots and naturals adds a, a rock, paper, scissors aspect to card selection, right? One is good against the other is good against the other, which knowing what your opponent is playing with and what they've been picking up can then affect your going to pick up. You also have more subtle things, like if your opponent has a lot of home runs, defensive cards that rob a single hit become better. Whereas if your opponent has lots of singles and triples, but they have players that have like multiples, if you have a card that says single, single, double, and then I play a card that reduces all of your hits by one, 
well, that's much more effective than something that just negates a single one of those hits. So, like I said, after those regular season, you go to the World of the World Series, which is best of seven, and then the winner of the World Series wins the game. You continue over the course of the World Series to have this improve your deck, improve your players element. Although, obviously, as you get deeper into the World Series, it becomes rather more important to win now than it does to buy someone who's got a lot of recruitment potential. Now, despite all the details of this that are obviously not a baseball simulation, it still very much feels baseball. I I particularly like the uh, homages to baseball greats, or at least very goods, in the names. You'll have Barry Sosa or Hank Ruth. That kind of thing is, is the names that they give them. If you know baseball players, it's kind of obvious who they're making references to. But it's a fun game to play. It plays pretty quickly. It's easy to pick up. It's relatively easy to play. It's one of those things that sounds a bit more complicated when you're talking about it than when you actually start playing it out. But that's that's one of the two sports-themed games that I really particularly enjoy and recommend. That is Baseball Highlights 2045, designed by Mike Fitzgerald, published by Eagle Griffin Games. The other one that I really particularly enjoy in the sports game thing is Winner's Circle, which was published in 2001 by Face to Face, designed by uh, good old Reiner. This is actually a re-implementation of Turf Horse Racing, which was itself published in 1995. So we're going pretty far back here. And like I said, racing, there's something about racing that makes it a lot easier to do in a board game format than like soccer right? And not only is this a racing game, again, but it's a betting game more than it is a racing game. There's horse racing, but you're betting on the ponies. You're not the jockey. Note that this is, is uh, Reiner, not his only betting on the horsies game. He also made Grand National Derby, which you were much more likely to know in its re-implemented version, Colossal Arena, where instead of horses, it's fantasy monsters, because gamers apparently like fantasy much more than they like sports. So in Winter Circle, there are seven horses, right? Again, not associated with a the player. There are just seven horses, regardless of how many players there are. Essentially, at the start of each race, you're going to bet on three horses to either win, place, or show. That is, to finish in the top three. So over the course of the race, you're going to be trying to take actions that will make sure that your horses do well. And depending on the dynamics, possibly actively targeting someone else's horses to do badly or what you think are their horses, that depending on whether or not you use the optional variance affects how much knowledge you have of who your opponents are actually betting on. So each horse has four values, and these correspond to the four symbols on a six-sided die that comes with the game. There's a horse that appears on three of the faces. Then there's a jockey's cap, a saddle, and a horseshoe. On your turn, you roll the die, and then you pick a horse to move. The amount the horse moves corresponds to its value that matches the symbol rolled. So it's not as simple as just moving the horse you want to win. You have to assess how good this particular role is for the different horses, for the horse that you favor, for the horses that you don't favor. Right? It might be that your favorite horse does really well on a cat. But you just rolled a horseshoe. And yeah, your horse does okay on a horseshoe, but really you want to try to get that cap. And so you try to be like, oh, that, that, that horse that I'm not betting on, they move terribly on, on a horseshoe. So let's, let's just make that horse move. 
Now, once a horse is selected, it cannot be selected again until all seven of the horses have been picked. Uh, of course, at the end of the race, you get paid out for your horses getting first, second, or third, right? Your win, place, or show. The more, the higher they finish, the, the better your payout is. There's a penalty if your horse is last, so that's an extra thing to try to avoid. It's not great, right, if the horse that you bet on week goes fifth because you lost all your money, but you really don't want your horse to be seventh. And you do three races, and the winner is determined after that. Now, this is not a deep game, and there's obviously a healthy dose of luck, but there are tactical decisions to be made during the course of this game with what to do with your die rolls, and there are strategic decisions with regards to the, the betting strategy. And like I said, there's there's an often used variant where you have like a dummy bet too. So you, you have one bet that's a nothing, but nobody knows which one's your real bet. So it, 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 it doesn't completely conceal which horses you're favoring, but it you know mixes things up a little bit. That You can play without that or not. There's several other variants. That's the main one. This is a light game, but it is a fun game. Note that it is better with more players. It plays up to six. This is one of those rare games where probably six is the best player count. You don't want to play this for like three. And the face-down bets, I would recommend using that face-bound bets. It, it helps the game stay a little fresh as you get through the third race. It's not repetitive. There's some catch-up stuff in there, right? You have the ability to jump ahead in the, the later ones. So it's not like if you win the first two, that's just the game. But that's this Winner's Circle, designed by Reiner Knizia, published by Face-to-Face Games back in 2001. And that's it, right? That is what I've got on sports-themed games. If you want the most popular one, check out Formula D. If you want the most broadly regarded within the designer gaming community, you can check out Flamme Rouge. If you want to lay out some bank, you can play Blood Bowl. But my particular favorites are Baseball Highlights 2045 and Winner's Circle. You've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to this podcast there through the Apple Podcasts app or whatever your favorite podcatching service is. If you happen to use such a service, but especially if it's iTunes or Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a rating or review. That helps other people find the show. You can also find us at the usual social media. We are at Strange Assembly on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Strange Assembly, at Strange Assembly on Instagram. You can also reach me directly. I'm Chris at StrangeAssembly.com. I always love to hear your comments, criticisms, or other constructive feedback. And, of course, what we like to hear probably more than anything in the entire world is if someone has signed up to support us on Patreon, so that's patreon.com slash strangeassembly. But until then, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.